Hello there and welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah from Sarah Ferruya Coaching and this is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many, many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them and share them. These legends are a collection of people who I have found during my 20 years in Tokyo and before. All of them are brilliant people. And when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal, and we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, eco-feminism, and more. We have elite athletes, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this, the Legends podcast with me, Sarah Faruya from Sarah Faruya Coaching. Today, I have the most amazing guest with me who I've been wanting to interview for so, so long, and it is the terrific Tokyo hottie, Tiffany Rossdale. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm so looking forward to this interview. Me too. I can't wait. And I'm just uh, so, so, so excited to have you here. I just would like to say that I'm so grateful to be on your show and Mm -hmm. I have been listening to your podcast episodes. Oh my God. And you have so many amazing influential guests on your show who has been sharing their wonderful stories and wisdoms. So thank you for using your platform to educate us and inspiring us all. So I'm really honored to be a part of your show. Oh, that's such a lovely thing to say, Tiffany. And the same for you as well. I love your podcast too. I've learned so much about so many things from listening to it. Such an important topic that you focus on there. So I'm absolutely delighted. So I want to just give you a formal introduction before we get into the questions, which is where I really like to go. So Tiffany is, uh, she's your Tokyo-based transformational lifestyle coach now, and she was born and raised in Manila in the Philippines. She's been a resident of Tokyo for over 25 years now, um, having moved to Tokyo in the late 90s. Um, She discovered vibrant opportunities with Japan's VIP nightlife scenes and became one of Tokyo's mega socialites. She had a brand called Tokyo Fashionista. She was curating her own events and has spent a decade hosting and designing some of the most luxurious parties for five-star hotels, luxury brands, mega clubs, Halloween events, New Year's parties, and served as a judge at the International Pole Dance Fitness Competition. (laughs) That was way back. (laughs) Wowie! And worked with international artists and musicians uh, like Kat DeLuna, Peter Chambers, and Lavelle Smith Jr., who was the choreographer to American pop stars like Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Beyonce, and many more. 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago, she started her career as a DJ and I've been very lucky to have been at some of her parties and love dancing with her. 
and uh, loads and loads of parties around the place. Agehara is one of the mega clubs here in Tokyo that she's uh, featured at. And since the global pandemic struck, she's pivoted to hosting a podcast called The Breakfast with Tiffany Show, dedicated to LGBTQ plus well-being and community. Um, I highly recommend her uh, podcast. There's a lot to learn. She has some terrific guests on there, even some superstars as well. So I know Tiffany. I don't know how I know you. I think I, I knew who you were through Brad and Kike, married couple who ran a fantastic dance studio in Rapongi called Fab, Fab Academy. Yes, Fab Academy. Tokyo. And, out there on the internet somewhere is a video of me in underwear doing a burlesque <laughs> dance <laughs> with them, which was just such terrific fun. Yeah. And then I think mm-hmm. we met um, through maybe Aya Jean in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we, uh, I met you, I was hosting workshops with her and you also did one of her leader you were one of her leaders in her workshops as well and then since then we've just kept in touch and our circles kept crossing um few japan i think you were djing at the party there and now you're on the board of directors of few japan as well right which is just amazing (laughs) for empowering women in japan which is a professional networking organization and you recently hosted me on the 40th birthday party because I used to be the president of that fantastic organization as well so Tiffany welcome I hope you feel like a rock star because you are a total rock star <laughs> right, like thank you so much for that amazing introduction like I've never had that introduction before so I'm really grateful <laughs> yeah I mean I could go on there's so much but I'm more interested in listening to you so the first question I have for all my guests is could you share a story from either fiction or from your own life mm-hmm. that has influenced you in some way yeah thank you for that wonderful question like what you said I was born and raised in the Philippines and I am a transgender woman of experience and I transitioned became when I moved here in Japan. So I want to tell this one story that when I was growing up since my early childhood. So I experienced many struggles when I was really young and my gender identity with my broken family, with my relationships with my relatives mm-hmm. and all the other childhood traumas that I've had. And I actually want to share this one childhood memories of mine which I haven't shared with anyone. So I was about um, five, six years old and my parents are still together. There's this one guy who stayed with our family and I can barely remember all the details and I still didn't have that these conversations with my parents when this happened ever since. So I am not sure if he was my parents' friend or some relatives, but my memory was he invited me to go to the bathroom every time he wants to go to the bathroom he would invite me and I think he was about late 20s or probably in his 30s I I just don't remember and every time he goes to the bathroom he would let me he would invite me he would invite me to go to the bathroom with him and what he did based on my memories is he would let me touch his private part Mm. and I don't remember if he did ejaculated or all I remember was I get this strange feeling coming from all over my body. Mm. I was trying to figure out what was it. So that strange feeling was every time I touched him, like I feel like that strange feeling. So this happened quite several times Mm. and that he could 
every time like he would go to bank, he would call me and he wants me to join him. And I never told my parents because maybe he didn't want me to let them know. I think he kind of warned me like back then. Mm. And I don't really remember most of what happened that time. And that's all I can remember. Maybe he did some more. I wasn't sure if it's because I'm an innocent child thinking when I became an adult that I could have been that it could have been a child abuse or, you know, or he probably molested me or what he did to me. Right. And I also think that letting him let him do whatever I let him do whatever he wanted to do because he probably saw and knew that I was different. Right. And yeah. And I feel like he can see me while my parents and my other relatives knew the fact that I was different and acting not like a normal boy, but they wouldn't accept and tolerate my uniqueness. So there was a lot of, you know, like you, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. So I think that person, that man who in, invites me in the bathroom uh, took that opportunity to show me that he can really see me and also show me his private part and what I should, that I should have and play with. So, yeah, that was one story that I can probably share that really, when I look back, it was, you know, it was strange, it was weird, but it opened my eyes in so many different things. It's really interesting. You say, oh, thank you for sharing that story with us. I'm sorry that happened to you. Mm. But you also mentioned there that it kind of opened your eyes in many ways. What do you, what do you mean by that? Obviously, I've worked on my healing mm. of all my past experiences in life. And um, it took me many, many years to completely heal. And now I can finally say, tell all these stories because back then I just kept everything within me. And I thought like no one should know about this. And I wasn't really vulnerable about my stories about what happened to me. So I think that particular event happened to me because it taught me so many things in life that I, I am now facing to be strong and to be look after myself and to really be vulnerable. Who knows? Like one day I'll be like this vulnerable and sharing all these stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was lucky because he, he didn't came to the point that, you know, like in a rape or killing, you know, because in the Philippines, it's normal to have that kind of incident too. So I was still lucky that I'm still here. I'm alive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. You mentioned there that it's quite common in the Philippines. What is quite common in the Philippines? Um, in the Philippines, it's common to have rape. It's common to have oh. child abuse. It's common to have all these things. And that's why I love living here in Japan because I think Japan for me is a safe place. Mm. I've been safe here being my gender identity, being who I am and not really thinking about my safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are a lot of issues, aren't there worldwide? Any, any country for people who have uh, transgender identities, all kinds of different identities. There's, there's a lot of risk, isn't there? Extra risk all the time we're thinking about and seeing in the news um, that people have been murdered or beaten up and so on. And I think you just did a tribute podcast to one of your friends, didn't you? Would you like to mention them? Yes, please. Thank you for this um, opportunity to, but I, I, it was my recent podcast about um, the transgender uh, day of remembrance. It was, right. it was this uh, particular event happens every November. Mm -hmm. where we share about the people that passed away, all these trans 
people who have lost their lives. Yeah. And this one person, I mean, not just one, I have a, f- a few actually uh, friends who is trans also who lost their lives without really knowing what was the real cause of the death. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't talked about in my community. And the Filipino trans woman community in Japan is not really big. So everyone knows everyone. And the fact that they passed away, no one really have the voice to talk about what really happened or question what really went through. And I, I was really um, lucky to have met my friend's family, mm. the one who passed away in the Philippines. And I think it was the mom when I met. She was really, of course, devastated, but she was also trying to figure out why, what was the cause. And I couldn't say anything, even though I live in Japan, because it happened in Japan, right? Mm. And I don't know what to say because I don't know what really happened. When one of my trans friends who's really close to her, when she passed away, she told me that they just found her out, that she was already dead and you couldn't really recognize her anymore. Right. Uh, her body had started to decompose. It's, yeah, yeah, it's already decomposed. And, I see. And I think the police here or the FBI, whatever here, like they didn't have that, you know, they didn't want to, I don't know what really happened, like how, how they did not like figure out like who, what happened, what was the real thing that happened. But I remember like my, her mom told me that they got the ashes back from Japan to, to send it back to the Philippines. But yeah, like it was, I really want to make that tribute on my podcast because she was one of a very good friend and she was one of my inspiration when I, before I made my complete transition Mm. and I idolized her. She was so beautiful and she was so intelligent and she was so out there. I mean, there wasn't a word for advocate back then. She was just like there, like showing up and being proud as a trans woman. And I saw that I was like, wow, like, you know, I want to be like her when, you know, someday. And, and then I became friends with her when I came to Japan and, and we hang out here and there. And, and she was really nice. She was really, she was really an amazing, um, kind person. And it was just like sudden, you know, like when she passed away and I was of course devastated. And yeah, this, this, the story that I shared on my podcast, recent podcast about, about her. Beautiful. What's her name? Leia Moreno. That's her um, stage name, Leia Moreno. We call her Leia. Leia Moreno. Well, we'll dedicate this this episode with your permission to Leia. Thank you so much. Sarah. Thank you. And uh, so, and God, God rest her. So yeah, you just mentioned that I completely failed to mention that you're transgender. But as I said to you at the beginning, that to me, that's not the most interesting part of thing about you. <laughs> and I want to hear all your stories anyway. So that's amazing. Okay, so well, let's let's go back then. Let's go back in time to the Philippines now and change gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, why don't you tell me about your childhood and your upbringing and uh, what's your background and story? So as I have said um, earlier, like my background when I was in, in during my childhood was really rough. I mm. didn't have um, that happy moments when I was really young, starting from that five, six years old, because after that incident of what happened, that story that I just I just said earlier, I also experienced my parents like separating. Mm-hmm. They weren't officially married, but they separated when I was about seven years old. And my mom leaving us to go here in Japan. And my dad couldn't really support us because his job of being a security guard couldn't really afford of me and my 
and my two other siblings, my brother and my sister. So he couldn't really support us. So my mom has to ask my relatives to take care of us while she was away. And I didn't have that. We didn't have that. Me and my siblings didn't have that freedom of being a child, like playing around, like going with other kids because we were thought that we should always be cleaning the house, helping the house. And I remembered when I was still in elementary, like seven, eight, eight nine, um, my mom bought a big land and in, in um, she has a lot of properties in the Philippines, but like she bought one land in, near in Manila where she wants to build a really nice house and that house wasn't really completely built. So what we did is me and my relatives who's taking care of us were the ones who try to build like everything from, for example, like the gates and all that, right? While my mom is actually sending money for constructions to do it. Mm -hmm. While they don't want to spend it, my relatives want to spend it because they wanted to spend it on, I don't know, like, so they're using the money of my mom by not like using it like we're supposed to were they supposed to use so instead like we're the ones like making it uh-huh um, we're, we're, we're building the house we're cleaning the house even though we have my, my mom sending money to have maids they didn't even want to have made instead like they they, t- they told my mom like oh we can just take care of them and they don't even need maids so but then it ended up like we are the bank. We became the maids. Okay. Like we're the ones cleaning the house. We're the ones like doing all of it. And I, and I remember back then I thought like, is this normal? And and then because my mom always put us in private schools and I'm hearing all these stories from my other classmates that they're like living a good life, right? Mm-hmm. You're hearing them like they can play, they can do whatever they want. They can like do like, I remember like they, they love playing like those um, game game boys. I think yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Game Boys and all that, but like, while we can also, we want to have it, but we couldn't have it because my relatives, my aunts and my uncles, they didn't want to tolerate us for, you know, to play and like do, do this thing. They just want us to study and then like, like do some, you know, like, like stuffs at the house, clean the house, like build something for the house. So I've had that really rough childhood um, dealing with that at the same time dealing with my gender identity. Yeah. At the same time. So the only escape that I had is when every time my, my father would visit us and I would just like tell him everything because like, he, would, he would take me out. I'm the one who's always take, taken out by my dad because he couldn't take us all. So mm-hmm. what he, he would do, like, he, would, he would ask permission to my aunts and uncles to take me out for a little bit for like, you know, to go like some parks or whatever. And then once we escaped, like I would just like tear up and tell everything, all the stories that we were experiencing. And he couldn't do anything because he can't get us because, because he can't also provide that um, support for us. And I also remembered like escaping so many times and trying to figure out where he lives and also where I can, I can find him mm-hmm. at a very young age and strolling around Manila. You know, like how it's really dangerous to go around Whoa. Manila like, <laughs> yes. like at, a, at a very young age. And and then I figure out like I, next time he would visit us, I need his address and phone number. And then I would just like, figure it out myself once I get that feeling of I needed to escape then I would just go and visit him like and escape the house and then and then I would just tell, I, and I would just tell him let's just get my other my, my brother and my, my brother and sister and we don't we don't want to be there anymore and my mom 
every time I escape, every time I try to escape or I don't want to go back anymore, my mom would come back from Japan. Mm. And I think back in the days, the traveling is so expensive to travel to go from Japan to the Philippines, right? It's not like that. She would always be like, what's wrong? Like, why would you like, you know, and we couldn't tell her because every time she's coming back or wanted to talk to us, her sister or brother or like the relatives, my aunts and uncles are all around and we couldn't tell her like the real what's happening. Yeah. So we were just like scared, like to tell everything. And, um, and that's how she came at one point that she was like, okay, if you want to just live with your dad, like go ahead. I'm not going to support you anymore. We're not going to support you anymore. And then we're just go if you want. And then I had the conversation with my dad about, it doesn't matter where we, we can live. It doesn't matter if it's a poor area or a, you know, like a really, um, or if, even if it's if if we can just like go to a public school, we don't mind as long as we can just like be with you. And he agreed to that terms, and he took care of us. And we really live in a really poor area in, in Manila. I've experienced that too for five five years because okay. I was in I was in high school when I experienced it. But but the feeling of living with him, imagine I was already in high school and I'm I'm still playing because I I didn't have that you know when I was right. at a very young age I couldn't play. Yeah. So I was still playing like some toys or like whatever, like at home, like because I missed that time when I was supposed to be playing when I was really young. Mm. But my dad completely understand it. He never, he would never judge like what happened to us because he knew. Mm. So um, having him around like was really comforting and very um, necessary for us. And I actually graduated from high school finding my peers like you know hanging around and while I'm still in the process of figuring out my real gender identity though but I was lucky to be able to find my peers in in school where I can hang out and be myself so that was my story when I was in the Philippines before I moved to Japan (laughs) wow what a story that's such an incredible story and I just think like it's it's so interesting you talking about your family there and the word that came up for me was like resourceful how resourceful they were taking the money but then building things themselves and 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 all that kind of stuff but at the same time I was also thinking and you spoke to this as well that like you must have had to have grown up very quickly and very and kind of and you actually just spoke to that then so you talking about even when you were a bit older maybe in your teens you were still playing with toys and stuff like that because you were expected to grow up so quickly when you were younger so that's interesting as well you should have picked up on that you've had some therapy is that right I did it on my own in the beginning you did it on your own okay wow yeah yeah amazing because like you know these are the kind of things that kind of work out in therapy or now you're a coach as well and coaching can sometimes you know help us to untangle these stories but I'm not one to try and take a negative and turn it into a positive I think that's really it's not very useful sometimes but how has it made you who you are now or how do you think those things helped you now um yeah Thank you for this question. I think it's also important to let this out because for me, I think I believe that having that experience in my life at a very young age, I believe all that happened to me because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't probably be that strong when I became an adult facing all the consequences of being a transgender. 
of finding who really I was and all these um, relationships from my past and also dealing with my families. I mean, I'm in good terms with my mom and my dad, but still I didn't have that conversation with them about why did you do that? Like, why did you do, why, why, why did you do that? Why you left us? Why you, you know, there was so many questions, but for me, um, when I did the transition of healing myself, it was all about the forgiveness. I, I worked on forgiveness and I think forgiveness is the ability to move beyond your, the, the bad experiences that I've had, knowing that the memory of the experiences gives, gives me the strength and clear passage towards for positive change. You know, I just find you one of the most positive and sweet people. And when I say sweet, you said, you mentioned like you were like this innocent wee boy who was, you know, probably, were you quite effeminate when you were little as well? Yeah, yeah. And and I just find this, this, this sweetness about you, but you tell these stories without any shame, but also very authentically. And, um, but I just find you to be such a positive and glowing person. You have this gorgeous radiance about you and it's not fake and it's not forced. It's just who you are. And I really, I really appreciate that. And it's so interesting to hear these stories of your past as well. And because we all hold stories and we all have pasts and, I feel very honored and with your generosity of sharing these stories. And I also wanted to say, like, although, you know, you mentioned your dad couldn't afford to keep you at first after your mum came to Japan. He sounds like a good guy. Is he a good guy, your dad? I think the love that my mom, because my mom wasn't there, right? Because yeah. that love, I think, was filled by my dad, even oh. though he couldn't support us in in financial way. Yeah. And also the, the importance of family as well, those networked families and um, yeah, how they stepped in and looked after you, maybe not in the best way, but um, here we are now, we come here. So I'm really interested in finding out like what, why did your mum come to Japan? But before that, I just wanted to mention, so you talked about forgiveness there. And I asked you before we came on the call, if you didn't mind me mentioning about like, I know you go to church because I bumped into you on the train once and um, we were near the Catholic University here. Um, is it called Sophia University? That one? Yes. in Yeah. So, yes. and you, and I was like, oh, hi. And you said, I'm on my way to church. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so what do you take from church? Can you tell me a little bit about your faith and does that help you to forgive? This is, I'm interested. Yes, it's definitely. Did. Thank you for that question. And yeah, yeah that, that coincidentally happened that I bumped into you yeah. <laughs> on my way to go to church. And ever since I was a child, I was taught to, in the Philippines, we're very um, Catholic people. Yes, yes. And my mom's dad and my, my grandparents, they were really um, very religious. Yeah. And we were taught that every time we did something wrong or we did something not good, he would punish us, like, especially my grandpa, because he was living during the World War. And oh, yeah. He has that, you know, very strict and um, super, super strict, you know, like to us. And I remembered um, when every time I, I do something, just even like a little thing that I did wrong, like he would punish us, but it's like go on the in front of the altar and kneel down and, you know, like stay there for an hour and, and until, you know, until you ask forgiveness, you know, like you have to be there. And we were thought that 
that's how important to have that, you know, being religious. Mm. And when I went to school, I've been participating to some um, communities where I'm a Catholic about being a Christian Catholic. And I was also part of a choir, which mm -hmm. I love because every time I go to church, I, I feel like I am in a safe space. I feel like no one will judge me if I'm in the church. Like I would just be there and like, like sing, sing, you know, like sing happy songs, being positive. So I've had that ever since I was a very young age and I still have that. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I came here in Japan. I've had that faith that there's this one big church in the Philippines which is really famous for, they say that when you go nine, I, I don't know which day was it. If you go like nine Wednesday, for example, nine Wednesdays every week, and then on your last day, you'll make a wish, it will come true. Mm -hmm. And I did it. I did, I did went to that church for nine consecutive weeks and it put me into so much um, situations. Like for example, there was a typhoon hitting and I still, I still went and I, you know, like all the situations that really tried me if I'm not going to be able to do it or not. And I dedicated to do it because I really want to come to Japan. And I thought putting that faith to God that, you know, putting me in the right place at the same time will help me. And this is like, so quite bizarre for me, but then it was really after that, the ninth week yeah. when I made the wish the following week, my mom called me and he, he, she told me that I got the visa uh -huh. and I was like, it's really true. And that also was taught by my, my, my dad. My dad told me that you should be faithful with God and you should, he told me about this. He was the one who told me about like to go every, 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 you know, one time every week that you should go and just like offer like that time to God and just pray and, visit the church and it will change if you have a wish and it will it will you it will you will be granted and and it happened i and i believe in that and i, I just that's why i still have it even though I, i'm here in japan i am catholic but i also pay respect to the buddhism and hinduism in japan every time i see a shrine or a temple i would visit and bow and i'm still trying to learn more things about buddhism and hinduism because i think it's really fascinating for me mm. But paying a respect to a country where it welcomed me and and having me live there for 25 years, I think um, it's really important to pay the respect to. Oh, that's so beautiful. And um, I have a very random question. How many languages do you speak? I speak three languages. Yeah. Uh, Tagalog, uh, which is the Filipino mother language, English and Japanese. In the Philippines, by the way, we have, we use some, Spanish terms so I know some like very some like words in Spanish mm -hmm. okay uh great and yes you're completely fluent in Japanese as well right I am yeah I've been here for, yeah for that long <laughs> I, I, should, I should speak the yeah. language why did your mom come to Japan my mom came to Japan because you know what I didn't ask her that question but she every time like she wants to say something about like from the past you know why why your dad is like this why we kind of like separated like you know she always blames my dad everything even okay. up until now all in my dad but, but then I believe she moved here because she wants to have that good life she wants to provide that good life for me and my brothers and sisters not just for us but also for her family mm -hmm. so she was breadwinner of yes. the seven I think six seven siblings 
Wow. This big family. And I think that's how she wanted to be here and, you know, like earn that privilege of having that good life. Yeah. Because the what you get paid here is a lot more than what you would get paid in the Philippines. Is that right? Because loads and loads and loads of amazing Filipino women come to Japan, don't they? And work here and send money home and support their families from here. It's really it's an interesting system that, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is so true. That's how that's why there's so many Filipinos come here to work. And back in the days, I believe there's a lot of people that come, a lot of Filipino people come here for as an entertainer. Either they're dancers or or singers or or being a hostess. So, you know, like those are they get that visa to come here and live for like six months or a year. And then when they get like when they get requested by the by the bars or the by the clubs they would come back again and you know have that visa again I see and when did you start um, realizing that you were a girl was it really early on really early I think it was I think it was during when I was five six years old and that's the time when that when I when I shared that story about that guy I think he probably saw me like acting really different yeah and I've been playing, I mean, I've been moving like very feminine and, but then my parents didn't want to tolerate me. So they always say like, don't act like that. Don't do yeah. like that, you know? So. All right. So um, what's the next part of your story? So there's, you come to Japan. How old were you when you came to Japan in your teens? Yes. I came here when I was 18. Yeah. And that was, that was during my second year college. Yeah, I was in I was in college in the Philippines, and what were you mom, studying? I was studying business administration. Okay. Yeah, and uh-huh. my mom told me that I should I should come here and visit and see if I, I would love to be in Japan, and I didn't have that um, interest uh, back then. I thought I don't know nothing about Japan. Only my mom is in Japan. That's only, you know, that's the only thing that I have on in my 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 mind. And and I was really, really, I, I really wanted to go to America. My dream is to go to America. And yeah. because everything we see on TV and cable are from America. <laughs> like to to be uh to be in Hollywood, to be in, you know, like to see New York, to see LA. Um, that was really my dream to be in America so my tactic was to probably stay in Japan first and then go to America because it will be easier for me because from going from the Philippines to go to America it wouldn't be that easy unless you have someone there that will support your visa Uh, yeah yeah so I thought like living in Japan because Japan is a first world country then it will give me an opportunity to go to America, which actually did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I came here when I was 18 and I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> 18. And when you came over here, were you still living as a, a boy at that time? I was, but I was different already. I, you would call it like a gay or, or like I'm already, my mom already, my hair was a little bit longer than not short, that short. Mm-hmm. And I'm not dressing as a male male. I'm dressing more like a unisex kind of way. Yeah. And my mom was, I remember my mom was telling me, you are going to to live with with me and your stepdad. So 
act like don't act like what you're acting in the Philippines. So act like you know like a normal boy. Mm-hmm. And I I did live with them for a year and I couldn't even I couldn't even stay long because I can't I don't have that freedom. Yeah. Yeah, and you wanted to start to be yourself more. Mm-hmm. Um, so what age did you start to transition then? I was 19, 20. Yeah. I already, I already started taking hormone pills in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. But the complete transition happened when I was here. Mm-hmm. And after being a part of the community where all the trans women works, um, a lot of them, they work as a hostess here, a dancer, singer. And... I was influenced to do cosmetic surgeries and to start like, you know, like you should start thinking about your breast implants and save money. And I actually did save my money. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't ask my parents to support me for that. Like I have my own money. I earned my own money to do my transition and yeah. that's, I, and I really worked hard for it. Yeah, for sure. You worked in a factory, didn't you? Um, at first. Yeah. In the beginning I did yeah. work in a factory because my mom told me that, all the Filipinos should are working in a factory. So that's the job here. So you don't have any other option to, to, to do. And then I was just like, really? And then I, I remember at that time, the factory that I was working was in an electronic shop and I was touching all these chips and I always get grounded from those chips. And I didn't like that job. <laughs> and I was just like, I really want to see like where those trans, where those trans women work. And I, I know that they're here, but I just don't know where they are. You know, I couldn't find them. I don't know where to find them. But my mom is a part of the community of the Filipino community. And she knows and she didn't want to tell me mm-hmm. because she didn't want it to, she didn't want me to be a part of it. Because if I start to know all of it, eventually I'll change myself too. Right. So, yeah. and she didn't want to make that happen because, because of my stepdad. And then when I finally told her that, I really want to do it and I really want to be in that community. Just let me go. Just let me do it. And she really thought about it. And she just told me, okay, you just have to have your own separate place, an apartment. Then you can, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want. Unless like whenever you visit us, you still have to be yourself. So. Okay. And, but how long did it take her to accept you as Tiffany? It took a while. Did it? <laughs> um, when I started doing my transition, uh, I started from putting uh, by by going to have my uh, breast implants, which she was so against. She was like, "Why would you do it?" Like, um, she was really against it. And I told her, "Like, I really want to because all the girls that I see, and that's how they get the tips. You know, like they earn a lot of tips by having like good, you know, good boob jobs." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, she couldn't do anything. I was just like. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to the Philippines and do my, because you know, in Japan, there were probably several cosmetic surgeons who were doing it, but it was so expensive. So I thought the fastest way is to earn, to earn just some money and then like go back to the Philippines and do, you know, a quick, a cheaper um, breast implants. And that's what I did in the, in, in the first uh, transition that I did before I did my other complete uh, transition of doing the SRS to complete surgery in Thailand several years later. Cool. There's a couple of things I want to note here. The first is, and this comes up a lot in my interviews with people, is the importance of mentors and having people around you who uh, you, who give you access to the things that you need. I think that mentors and 
senpai are so important and so you having you just mentioned then I wanted to be in the places where the other people like me were and then they're giving you advice like you need to start saving up so you can do your transition because it's going to be this much money and try doing it this way or go to this doctor or uh, these kinds of things uh, it's just so important having mentors around don't you think oh so important and it's also not back early 2000s is where, when it all happened. We still don't, don't have Google. We still don't have all yeah. this information online. So it's more of like word of mouth and people that you really trust. And, you know, like they've had that experience to, to go to this doctor. So you have to go or you heard from someone like, like you shouldn't go to that doctor because someone died and you hear all this. Yeah. So there was some confusion there was some like you know like really should I do it or not but at the end I was really lucky to have good uh, surgeons who have found and and did my transition and I didn't really regret what I did I think I really want to become who I am today but then realizing if this happened now if this happened in this time now I probably wouldn't do the complete transition because that was the most, one of the most difficult decisions I've had in my life. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. And I was actually going to ask you that, like, how did it feel afterwards? Um, and I don't mean physically. You you went into very great detail on another friend's podcast, Tokyo Talks, about that. So if anybody's really interested in hearing the detail of that Go over to Tokyo Talks. Nick Petos <laughs> has a great conversation with you about that. But in your heart and mind, mm -hmm. how did it feel after you transitioned? Wow, yeah, I, I really felt the freedom. I really felt the safety. Mm. I really felt that I can live the life that I want now. I don't have to be fearful about men, about people that if they find out about my gender identity. So... Before the transition, I've already thought about I can live in a new life. I thought I can move move to a different life that I would not look back and, you know, and those things that happened to me in the past will be coming back again. So I really thought that I, that it's going to be a new life. And I realized that later on, I, after building a different persona of me being Tiffany and having that not being authentic about myself also put me in so many consequences mm. yeah I've learned a lot through that process but the feeling of that moment when I had that complete transition was also amazing and life-changing for me amazing and life-changing I am curious so you said that you don't regret it but you might think twice was that just because of the physical the physical aspect of it and the healing or was what would make you think twice now I think it's because of I couldn't go back there if, uh. if, if, if in case something happened because I've heard stories that it didn't work and then they, ha they have to suffer in this kind of condition mm. um, some people die because of that that surgery and I don't want to lose my life obviously right like like because of surgery and I was so lucky to have my sister have backed me up because my mom didn't want to support me sure. in doing my complete uh, transition. So I, I'm, I'm really lucky to have my sister with me in, in Thailand, spending time with me for 
a month. Plus, it really made me a complete um, bond with her. That I I love my sister so much that she was there for me. That I couldn't even think who who else will be there for me. Wow, there's such a strong theme of family running through this conversation. Like a really strong theme of family here. It's and I can't say good or bad. It's just there. That's such a strong influence. So you then became this kind of one of the grand dams of um, Tokyo nightlife. So what was it like doing that? I mean, I've heard some of the stories you've told, but like the Tokyo underground, any any big city has this mad underground like nightlife, but you were right in there with all of that, weren't you? Tell me a bit about that. Tell me some interesting stories from that time. So I think the hostess thing, the hostess community of trans women too is very underground in Japan it's not like really talk about only people that knows knows that the scene will know so I've had that experience when I started my transition working as a showgirl in trans women community or clubs and my other persona which I also did after my complete surgery I thought being a complete woman without telling everyone about my real gender identity because I already did everything. Yeah. And so I did that image of persona of being Tiffany and, you know, being there, enjoying the nightlife of Tokyo, going to all the parties. Yeah. And that's how it all started for me to explore and being invited to so many VIP parties. And, and then I realized, why not make my own? <laughs> and that's how the Tokyo Fashionista started. It's um, an event that I founded 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and it was about fashion. It was about entertainment. It was about models, all this like beautiful people in Tokyo, the foreigners. It's also half and half like foreign community and also the expat and also the Japanese community all combined in one event. And they would, they would you know, we would just like have amazing fun night out of enjoying you know like and I also made it into team parties like special occasions for example Halloween or countdown years countdown like I did the first foam parties in Japan (laughs) in Tokyo and also a lot of team parties and it was really so much fun and at the same time I didn't know that not being vulnerable about myself and hiding that part of me will put me in consequences. Like, for example, in my relationships, I wasn't lucky enough to find the right guy for me, even though I thought that I'm completely, you know, full on surgery, whatever. I thought like I'll be happy in relationship, but I wasn't. So I think not being vulnerable about myself really led me to so many things that also taught me a lot about life that I experience and yeah (laughs) I mean that goes for anybody but I'm just starting to realize what you're saying is when you transitioned that you kind of wanted to live just you just were a woman Mm -hmm. now you are very very open about being a transgender woman right Mm -hmm. but back then you were just being a woman 
and you mentioned the word authentic so that inauthenticity got you into some trouble so now I mean you are so honest now like I mean just so when you say vulnerable you are so vulnerable now you are so straightforward and direct now and I know this is part I think this is part of your healing journey and you know getting those secrets out where people can see them then nobody's got anything on you but also it I suppose it helps to align your heart and your mind and everything about a person. Like for me, I'm really trying to take this in now and think, where's my version of this as well? And maybe the listener's version of that as well, where just a little bit more authenticity in one's life could lead to more, if you like healing or more, less trouble. (laughs) Less trouble is a good, good way to put it. Is that what you're saying, Tiffany? Yes, absolutely. And I think yeah. it's easy, it's very easy to ignore this voice inside us that is often more um, convenient to speak over it with justifications. Yes. It takes work to change and it also takes courage. Yeah. But there's real bravery in honoring ourselves by changing the people, places, experiences that move us closer to the purest and most vibrant and most authentic versions of ourselves. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And they're really kind of old fashioned kind of um, uh, qualities as well, like work, courage, bravery, honor. These are really kind of really, really old school kind themes, aren't they? I love it, love it. And that vibrancy and more of us can be seen. I, yeah, how beautiful. I'll be thinking about that. I really, really like that. I've just remembered, actually, I'd completely forgotten about this, but I used to have a client who worked at a club in Roppongi called, I think it was called Kagawa. Kagawa. Oh, yes, of course. I know that. Like, I, One of the top dancers is a very good friend of mine. Right. Yes. And that's a, that's a club with all kinds of people from all, with all different kinds of gender identities. And some of the people there are like super superstars, right? Like yes, of, yes. The, of that world. Mm-hmm. Because she'd also done a full transition and I didn't even ask her about it she just oh, told me it was she Japanese or Filipina Japanese oh okay yeah from, there was some Japanese too she was from Hokkaido yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah I can't remember her name now I think Yuki but I can't remember and uh or something like that but yeah some and again that was the least she wanted like business English help so that she could look after her clients better at Kagawa so she's mm. part of the show. And then I think people come down into the audience and serve and, and host and stuff like that. Amazing. <laughs> so yeah. I'd completely forgotten about that. What a nice memory. Yeah. And she went into great detail telling me about her transition in Thailand as well. But mm. I didn't ask at all. She just started telling me. I was like, mm. oh, <laughs> sounds really really intense it's, it's just really sad now though because a lot of those places are shutting down especially oh, with no. covid a lot of them suffered during covid because they couldn't really do oh. nightlife right so i am still in touch with people who still works in nightlife and i'm hearing their stories of how they really wanted to try because that's the only way that they think they can they can survive right by working in those type of places while I think that they should definitely try many other things that they can do. And I've been there myself and I thought that that's the only way, but I realized that if I do that for a long period of time, I don't think I'll be able to use my other skills that I have in me. Right. Right. Well, that's really, really interesting. You should say that because I hadn't really thought about that, that oftentimes jobs in nightlife. So whether it be hosting or waitering or, 
busing or the person who takes the rubbish out or anything like that. It's often people on the margins who get those jobs. Yeah, so like people who are already marginalized getting further marginalized because their jobs aren't there. But what you're saying is, and I think this is probably where your amazing coaching comes in as well, is to help people to understand that they're a whole person, not just that part of themselves. And I think you're a brilliant, brilliant example of that, of kind of, not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, because the other thing that makes me feel incredibly sad here, those clubs are closing down, but that's a whole piece of culture. That's a whole slice of, of any culture that could be dying with the death of those clubs. And I think that's a terrible, terrible shame, not just culture, but people's talents, people's mm. shows and the people who enjoy that kind of stuff as well, because all kinds of people go to those places. It's like mm. similar level to kind of geisha, I think, that kind of the skill and the level of service and the enjoyment that business people get from going to those places and enjoying that full spectrum of of the many ways to lead a life right which and is also, yeah exactly and also connection like being yes. in that, those places you connect with like-minded people who's very yes. open-minded yeah 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 and also people who are different to you oftentimes like ceos and stuff like that would go to those kinds of clubs and entertain their their guests there and stuff like that and uh it seems a terrible shame to me that that might die with the death of the clubs but it always finds a way to come back up right because mm-hmm creativity talent every different way to be a human being they don't go away it doesn't go away it still <laughs> it still exists and lives with within us all so 10 years ago you were doing Tokyo Fashionista I remember listening to you talking to Kike about hosting and how much you had to drink like he was telling me how much, <laughs> how much he had to drink and I think both of you don't drink now is that right you don't drink anymore how long yeah. ago did you stop drinking and what's been the impact of that I would not say I'm completely sober. Yes. I would have since last year or yeah, since that few years, I would have a glass of red wine. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I can definitely say I'm done and I'm not going to drink more than that. And I quit. I started doing quitting alcohol 2017. 2017. Yeah. 20, yeah. Around that time when I really thought about what if I stop drinking alcohol and see what's going to happen to me and that's where it all came all together imagine like you're battling with all these problems and then you, you can't run away anymore because I escaped through much alcohol and it was very challenging but at the same time after I overcome the you know the being sober for several months I've, I've done it for I think a year even a year I think almost a year I did it and I felt so much better I felt so much lighter I felt like I can face all the challenges that will come to me without even, you know, without even thinking that it's, this is going to be hard, you know, that I think I'm already like trained enough to be stronger. Wow. And was that the time when your kind of life started to transition into a new, into a new you and becoming what, who you are today as well? Yes. So tell me what you're doing today then, because I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? So you went from the, the factory to Philippines, to the factory, to the nightlife, to the Tokyo fashionista. Then four or five years ago, you started to really change your life. And now your life is so different and interesting again, isn't it? So take us through this part of the journey. So after my fashionista last, before COVID, I was still working for a, a, a big place in Ginza called mm-hmm. Plus Tokyo. It was a really beautiful place because you have the restaurant, the bars, 
the um, lounge, the rooftop, all at the same place. So that was really like, for me, it was like a dream job to be working in that place because I can bring my guests in a restaurant. I can bring my guests on a bar. I can bring my guests on a rooftop. Mm-hmm. I can do a fashion show in that place. So all like, it was, it was an amazing place. And I was working for them for a year. And that was before COVID. And when COVID hit last year, it was a big realization for me that should I really continue doing what I'm, what I'm doing for 10 years? Is it my purpose to do events, to do this entertainment? I mean, I love entertaining people. I love organizing parties and, you know, making people happy. Yeah. It's part of me. I love, I love doing it. But realizing that I can't do it anymore, I didn't think that during COVID was really, it made a negative impact on me. I thought that it really forced me to pivot to my real purpose, which made me realize that I need to advocate for my community. I need to start talking about my community, myself, to educate everyone about my community because I belong in that community. So that's how my podcast started last year by being so vulnerable. It took me, it took me probably weeks to finally touch the microphone. And because I, I haven't never been really vulnerable about myself and and telling everyone in my social media and, and all of my friends about me. All they know is Tiffany and they didn't really know who who's behind Tiffany, who's the real Tiffany. Yeah. And when I share that story, it was liberating I felt so healed and I get so many messages from people that I didn't even expect it that they can resonate with my story they can they they really they're really proud of for my vulnerability and also being opening up and being honest and I think a lot of people can't really be honest about themselves so they really praise me for doing what I'm doing and also after letting them know that I'm going to serve for my community and I'm going to do something for my community, I'm starting to advocate for my community is what really made them support me. And realizing that now I've been doing for a year and I've had such an amazing connection with my community, which I never even thought about. Like I'll meet people from, uh, I had him on my podcast, um, Daniel Franzesi from The Mean Girls, which is we just, just everyone all my friends were like how did you get him yeah that's what I was thinking how did you get him <laughs> <laughs> but it was all true my my you know my, my stories that the people that I because I really want to talk about a lot LGBTQ in my podcast so it led me to all these amazing people that that I I was even like in awe like you know like how I became connected with all of them so to my realization, I believe that I, I am, it, is, it was really leading me to a path of my purpose to give out and share my voice and share my stories and let people know about me because a lot of people still need to hear what a transgender yeah. voice is like because I don't think we have that enough voices. I mean, yeah. although now in America, there are many coming out stories and, and people who was really vulnerable about their stories. But in Japan, for example, there's not many representations. That's what it really made me realize that I need to be there so then I can encourage others to share their stories and be vulnerable. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, because I'm thinking about like in the UK and in the USA, like there's Peppermint who's in the USA who does a lot of lobbying and stuff like that. And she was on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race as well. So she's got a really high profile. And then in the UK, there's a woman called Munro Bergdorf and she does a lot of work as well there. I think she advises the government too. She's just won an award actually. Yeah, she just won an award really recently. And so there is that kind of And these are just people who are out in the public and doing things. I mean, I do understand it's no, it's not easy. It's still not easy, right? There's still a marginalized identity. But what's the situation here in Japan then, Tiffany? Because maybe that's who you are, because you have a Japanese passport now, right? Is that right? I still don't have a Japanese passport. Okay, thank you, pardon. I would love to have a Japanese passport because in the Philippines, we can change our gender. Yeah, we don't have that. change your gender marker. Yeah, right. we can. We don't have because I think also because of the, reli- uh, the religious gov- stuff. Yeah, religious stuff. The government is connected with the you know, being Catholic and and all that. And the only way that I can change my gender mark on my passport is if I became a Japanese citizen. I see. So I really I want see. to do that too. Just I want to do that not to get rid of my being Filipino. I love my country. Yes, I love my country, Philippines. I love being Filipino, but. If that's the only way to make myself more safe, because in other countries, for example, in Dubai, I've had the opportunity to go to Dubai and I didn't know that we're not allowed to, in a D- Dubai if my, my gender mark is male and my gender mark was male and I was there. And I realized that after when I came back to Japan and then they were telling me like, how can you go there? And it's not like if your gender mark is male, they would have, you know, they would have put you in jail. Yeah, because yeah. It's, because it's illegal. Wow. I'm so glad I asked that question because these are things I don't know, right? I didn't know that. For some reason, I thought you had a Japanese passport, but I mean, it doesn't matter because we're both, you know, long-term residents here and this is our this is our home. So, you know, I can see you being this voice. So there's something interesting. So I've got a question here because in Japan, there are people who dress uh, in different gender identities all the time, right? So on TV, there's, What's the name now? Matsuko-san. Okay, yeah, and um, the comedian, the, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who who dress different gender to what well, you know what they were born, and of course there's Takarazuka as well and Kabuki. Like it's all part embedded in the culture here. However, you don't really hear what you're talking about uh, the transgender voice of the people just in the street it's like those are the tarento that's what happens in the acting community but the voice that you're bringing to the table is a different voice is that right absolutely right their representation in japan is still less like you would see a lot of they call it talento Talento, um, yes yeah you, you could call it talento like they're in variety like variety ne? variety yeah. we call it variety in shows that you would see Haruna Ai representing you know like but she wouldn't she wouldn't be recognized as transgender they would call her okama or yeah, yeah. a gay right and they're all like comedians and you wouldn't see I think now there's a few who is transgender doing modeling and all that, but not in acting. And that's the reason why I also did acting lessons this past few years, because I think being um, a representation in the film industry is also important. And um, we don't have that representation in Japan yet. And we need a representation. So then 
all these future LGBTQ can see that, oh, there's someone in the film industry, I can be like them. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't, ha- if we don't have that representation, I don't think they'll, they'll be able to see their, that they have the future to be open, to be vulnerable, yeah. to share their stories, to be there and, you know, be like, be like, I am here. I'm a transgender. I'm here. I'm, I'm queer or whatever. But now still in Japan, they prioritize their careers. They prioritize their relationship with their families and friends. I understand it, but they don't have that freedom of being themselves. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a big thing that once you, once you release that, you'll be able to discover more about yourself. Mm. Freedom. Freedom to be ourselves. Gorgeous, mm. gorgeous, gorgeous. And again, again, you're talking about this representation and about kind of having mentors because mentors aren't only person to person. They're also everywhere. Like It's a book. It's a person in the media. It's a magazine article you read. So it's, it's so important to have access to this. What would be your highest hope then as this kind of leader and this advocate and this voice and this activist? What would be your highest hope for the people in your community? My highest hope for my community is that one day we will not even talk about transgender. We will not talk about queer. We will not talk about, you know, like the different umbrellas of LGBTQ. Like I want to experience this in my life during this, my life that we are just like a part of the community, a part of the world that is just a normal human being. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we exist too. We were here. We're a part of it. We're, we're, you and I are the same. You know, we're not different. So that's my hope that one day it will be just like a normal thing that we exist. I love that. Love that so much. And that's the basic theme of my whole business is there are many ways to lead a life and that's it. It's just like, that would be my hope as well. So speaking of which, then tell us what you're doing now, then what do you do now? So you tell us about your board of directors and what else you're doing and your coaching and your retreats and all these kinds of things. So tell us what you're doing now. Oh, thank you so much for asking that, Sarah. So after I um, released my podcast last year, which turned one year already, I started doing my coaching uh, for the LGBT, not just for the LGBTQ, but also for, for people that really need this the guideline or needs motivation in their lives. And I also started hosting retreats, which is so much fun. Like, because I am really good at like organizing. <laughs> that's, not, that's what I've been doing, doing events for Tokyo Fashionista. And I think it's for me, it was easy to organize this retreats because I already had that background. I just have to gather all these like um, healers and coaches and programs you know, it's it, all, all of this is very easy for me. Yeah. It's just, it was really quite, the, the only thing was challenging was the COVID because it's not easy to gather people in one place. That was the only part of was challenging, but organizing the wellness retreats was really, was really fun. And I think it was really amazing. I love hosting wellness retreats and hopefully next year I'll be able to do that more. And then I also, I was lucky to be invited to be one of the board of directors for Few Japan, which you were also my senpai, uh, being a part of the community before. And it was so, it was really, I think being a transgender and being invited to a women community is so, I feel so honored and I feel so 
it was it was it was an amazing feeling that to be a part of it and be a represent re, represent for for my community and to have that space and be welcomed by this powerful women i am just grateful and i am really uh looking forward to connecting with all this amazing women in the community so that's another thing that i've i've been doing and also started my youtube channel just last month i wanted to make it more connected to my podcast but not like in a long version because i don't think people will watch on youtube for an hour <laughs> like the conversation for example that we're having right so for me i wanted to make a visual content on youtube focusing about japan the culture about japan because how i how i love this country and also stories from people that who lives here and educating people about lgbtq community so that's what i've been busy lately and i think I'm just looking forward for next year because I think next year will be I'll be, I'll be getting more amazing opportunities to um probably do films or you know like with my acting and also having speaking gigs. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you you're friends with Chuck, aren't you? Chuck Johnson. Yes. So I I hope to see one of his films, uh, one of his Quiet Flame productions because he's uh he's a mate of mine as well and he was on this podcast. It was really fantastic conversation, so interesting. Uh he's so interesting. He's an uh, amazing person. He's and, an amazing person. And he was the one who convinced me to do acting skill. Did he? Mm -hmm. Did he? Yeah, yeah. So that that I would love to see you in one of his like action movies as well. That would be amazing. <laughs> and I want to say this as well, Tiffany. You said it was an honor to be invited into um, the women's group. The honor is all ours. It's our honor to have you in our group. Not least because you're one of the greatest um, organizers of events, and so that's just simply your talent and your your skill that you're bringing to the table. But seriously, the honor is all ours. It's all ours. I feel very honored to be in the time and a place where you are part of the community and you're representing for us. I really appreciate that. So thank you, actually. Yeah. Thank you. No, I love, I love you, Japan. And I remember the first time I DJed for, yes! <laughs> for the <future laughs> and you were there too. Yeah. It was, you know, the energy from that community, I was just like, it was mind blowing. I was just like, what is this community? Why I didn't find out about this community? Yeah. And then when Jackie started talking to me about the Jackie is the current president of Future Japan. And when she was starting to talk to me about this community, and she was like, you should be a part of this community. And, and you know, like we're actually looking for, you know, co-directors to be in the on board and maybe we can have you. And I couldn't say no, of course I would say yeah. yes. And the energy that night when I DJed, I will never forget it. That's why when we do meetings again in person or events in person, I can't wait for that moment to have like, you know, I would play, I would blast off like 80s music and we can yeah. all have fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, this seems like a great time to start to close out. So where can people find you? We'll link to all this below, but where's the best place for people to find you, Tiffany? Thank you so much for asking that, Sarah. Um, they can find me, Tiffany Rosdale. I have my LinkedIn, all my social media accounts like Facebook, Instagram. I also have my official website, TiffanyRosdale.com, mm -hmm. where they can learn about my coaching and programs and also my retreats and then my podcast breakfast with tiffany show is available on any podcast platforms and also my breakfast with tiffany show on youtube also available and 
yeah, I think that's all. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah, go and listen to a podcast. It's really fascinating. Great. So I'm going to ask my final question now. There are many ways to lead a life. Tiffany, what does that mean to you? Ooh, what a beautiful question. Uh, life for me is, has been interesting. It really taught me so much. And I think all the things that happened in my past, I would never regret it. I would never say that I regret or I didn't like or I hated it. I think all what happened in my past led me to who I am today and who I am becoming because we don't know how long life will be. Life can be in 200 years or 300 years in our age and that's possible. And I would say that just enjoy every moment of it and be in present moment and not think about the future is one of the important things I've learned throughout my journey. Amazing. Tiffany, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today and hear about this way to lead a life. It's been really, really interesting listening to you. And, you know, as I said, like and being so frank about being transgender, but for me, that's not the most interesting thing about you. It's just that you're such an incredible person and such a professional, always positive, always optimistic, but also just very, very honest and not trying to sugarcoat things or be fake positive or toxic positivity or anything like that. And just watching you kind of over the last few years, moving into this new space where you're taking this amazing leadership role in, you say your community, but not only the LGBTQ plus community, but also the community that I'm part of as well, which is the community of Japan and the community of just being people in the world and finding your place like that. And you are such a radiant, radiant example for anybody who comes your way of how to overcome adversity and how to flourish and bloom and how to just lead a life and take everything that's happened and give it back but also make it be part of you and just enjoy yourself I mean we just enjoy our lives don't we so very much it's so rich and lovely so I'm I'm so happy and I hope that the listeners have something to take away please do comment or go and give Tiffany a follow in any of her places especially a podcast and a YouTube channel let's give that a bit of love Tiffany thank you so much Sarah I just would like to say that Thank you for using your platform, for using your voice to making all this. And I'm really grateful that um, you invited me over. And I love being here. Every time I watch your your podcast, you really know how to make people really feel comfortable and and you know make it a safe space. So whenever you need me or a guest again, like I'm I'm here. Like let me know. <laughs> love that. Let's do a follow up. Let's do a follow up sometime because I have I do have a follow up series. So maybe in a year's time. Let's see what's happening and uh, we'll find out what the fuck happened next for you because that's my other theme. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tiffany. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Sarah Faruya from Sarah Faruya Coaching. This is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them. And thanks again to beautiful, wonderful Tiffany for sharing her stories with us today. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this latest legend on the Sarah Furuya Legends podcast. Hop over to sarahfuruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, Legends interviews and conversations. Also, you can like and subscribe over on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. I absolutely love these interviews and these conversations I have with these people. I don't care about subscribers if I'm absolutely honest 
honest, it just helps to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people, I would call them ordinary, they're not, but these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Faruya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Faruya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.